And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The video that we saw a moment ago asks a series of questions about the human experience. My premise is that the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 reveals God's purpose for man, his highest creation. I believe that God's purpose for man is more important than any other created thing. We have the story not to tell how things work, but why the things relate the way that they do. On day one, we saw God bring order 
and hope to a chaotic, godless emptiness. Last week, we looked at days two and three, where God formed the spaces that his creation would occupy. And today we see the creatures that occupy that space and the functions that they perform. For I see in day four that God populated the heavens. He populated the heavens with what? With a sun, a moon, and stars. Now, since I believe that the book of Genesis is a human-based story, although now we know that Earth is not the center of our universe, we know that our moon is not the center of our universe, to the human perspective, God has placed the sun, the moon, and the rest of the stars. I believe that God is using what we call, here's a fancy word, we'll see if I can get this one right, phenomenological, there we go, phenomenological language. It's a language that tries to make the phenomenon logical to us. And this is something that we need to remember when we study and interpret the Bible. That God sometimes does not give a scientific description, but he makes the phenomenon logical to his audience. As we remember this, I'm reminded of a group of blind men who heard that a strange animal called an elephant had been brought to the town. But none of them were aware of the shape and form of an elephant. And as blind men, out of curiosity, they said, we must inspect it so that we can know by our touch of which we are capable. We can't see it, but we can touch it. So they sought out the elephant. And when they found it, they groped it about. And the first person whose hand landed on the trunk said, "Um, this being... Whatever an elephant is, it's like a large snake. Another blind man placed his hand upon the ear. And he says, it seems like some kind of a fan. As for another person whose hand was upon his leg, no, 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 no. The elephant is like a pillar, like a tree trunk. The blind man who placed his hand upon the side said, No, no, my friends, you've all got it wrong. The elephant is, it is a wall. And another who felt his tail described, The elephant is like a rope. And the last blind man felt the tusk. He states, The elephant is hard and smooth like a spear. To these six different men, they each felt a different part of the animal and each had a different perspective from their limited, blind mind. And God is trying to bring to our human mind something that is beyond our individual comprehension. And so he describes it in phenomenon, logical language. 
God's description of the heavens to the perception of ancient man does not preclude that he also made other planets and other universes, but they couldn't be seen by ancient man, and so he leaves them out of this story. Why, then, does God separate and place these two lights into the sky? Well, we read very clearly in um, verse 14, the reason God placed a sun and a moon is for signs and for seasons. The signs are meant to inspire wonder. Joshua chapter 10 indicates a time when God made the sun stand still. Why? To prove that he was fighting for Israel. The Magi noticed something in the stars that led them to travel to Bethlehem. At the crucifixion, the sun was darkened for three hours, indicating the sorrow of God over the suffering Savior. And Revelation speaks of the eastern sky splitting when the Son of Man returns to take his rule on earth. The skies often become signs that cause us to wonder about what God is doing, but it reminds us that God is involved. God gives us the sun and the moon as signs, but also for seasons. Because seasons establish a rhythm to our life. And I mentioned last week how the rhythm of the sunrise instills hopes, instills hope and reminds us of God's faithfulness in the past. And to those who pay attention to the location on the horizon of the rising and the setting sun, it also speaks of the repetition of the boundaries of the season. The first day of winter and the first day of summer arrive, and God says, Son, no further. After that first day arrives, the sun on the horizon begins to move the other direction. And the first day of summer, the sun on the horizon begins to move the... It's as if God said, These are the boundaries, you will go no further. So we have wonder about the sun and the moon. We see the seasons that he defines. When I think about him defining the region, saying no further, I was reminded of when our family got our first video game. I'm still amazed at how much time was wasted watching that dot bounce off the boundaries. But as I began to regret how much time we spent watching that dot, I was reminded that some of the brightest minds of our young people at the West Point Military Academy were mesmerized by the moving dot because something said, no further. Will this be the one that it actually hits the corner? Yay! 
If West Point cadets can get that excited by watching a screensaver on a scoreboard, we watch the horizon and we see the sun set further and further and further and further, and God says, no more. And six months later, we see the sun setting further and further and further, and God says, no more, and it begins to come back. Even the timing of the sunrise and the sunset, the placement of the sun on the horizon, reminds us that there is a sovereign God who has established boundaries, and nothing goes beyond his boundaries. So what is the sun and the moon? Why is for signs and seasons? And where has he done this? He's actually done this from our perspective on the earth. It doesn't say that he gave the sun to light Jupiter and Mars. It says that he placed the sun to bring light on the earth. And that the moon reflects the sun's light on the earth. Because the earth is not the center of our solar system. Earth is not the whole elephant. But earth is the only inhabitable planet in our solar system. Because the elephant is unlike any other animal. And God says earth is unlike any other planet. And humans, you are unlike any other created being. Earth is a planet where God chose to create a garden and to fill it with plants, animals, and humans. What God does on day four is to, is to assign a function to the sun and the moon. The stars communicate theologically to the inhabitants of earth. The signs reveal that God has a time for everything under his control. And the sun can only go as far as he allows. The moon tells the tides when to shift. The skies reveal to animals when to migrate. As I see the, the heavenly bodies are, they communicate God's involvement in the events on earth. And day five, then, assigns a function to the birds and the fish. Because God didn't only populate the skies, but God populated the skies and the seas with animals. And the types of animals that God populates in the sky and the seas are described rather quickly on day five as swarming creatures. I spent way too much time this week trying to come up with a synonym for swarming. There's something about that word, swarming. And as I thought about what does it mean to swarm, my mind was taken to a science documentary that I saw that showed the school's of anchovies that kind of take different form within the water as the dolphins chase after the fish. As, as they move around, and, and, and it, it's, it's like a cloud that's morphing under the waters. And I thought, that's what it means to swarm. We watch the, the birds, and not so much the geese, because they fly in formation, but when I watch the starlings, when they get startled and they leave the feeder... 
they, they're all moving around in different ways and they swarm together. I recently viewed a documentary of life in the South Seas. And in vivid photography, the piece portrayed the, the gathering of birds on a particular beach for their breeding cycle. And then from the beach, they took us to the waters, and we saw the plankton that were swarming under the waters. And then we saw the school of anchovies that fed on the plankton. And then the anchovies were swarming. Then we saw a pod of dolphins chasing the anchovies. And they brought this swarming bunch of fish to the surface. You know what happened? The birds from the beach began flying over the surface and dive-bombing those fish to feed on the swarming fish that the pod had chased to the surface. And the birds ate their fill and took back to the nest the feed that was necessary for their spouse, spouse and youngins. And I see the reason God placed schools or swarms of fish was to feed and to provide for other animals. And the reason that we have birds that swarm, you, you probably can't find a whole lot of useful reason to have a, a barn swallow swarm, but they provide a source of food for other animals as well. But, but notice as we look at the scripture here, God says, let the seas be filled with swarming creatures who reproduce according to its kind. According to its kind is a phrase that we see no less than 10 times in Genesis chapter 1. And as we read about these kinds, we are reminded that indeed there are mutations within species. If we had time, we could generate a comprehensive list of the breeds of dog. And you probably have a breed in your mind right now. But we could take hours listing all of the different breeds, yet they are all canine. From the smallest Chihuahua to the largest Bernard or Dane, they're all canine according to their kind. And apart from mules, which are sterile and cannot reproduce, I am unaware of any other pairing that crosses the kind barrier. Some of you who breed livestock may be able to tell me that there are others, but according to my limited preacher mind, mules, which is a combination of a donkey and a horse, are the only animal that crosses kind so god says you will be food you will stay within your own kind and then he goes on to and he, god gives a command to the fish that he does not give to any other animal or he gives it to the fish and the birds that he does not give to any other animal god gave a command to the fish and the birds that the land animals don't get and that command is multiply and by assigning a command, God gave to the fish and birds a purpose. 
The purpose of fish, the purpose of birds is to multiply, not so that they would dominate, but that there would be an abundance of feed for the animals on day six. So even the swarming animals, the flocking animals, have a purpose. Next, we see that God populated the earth. I I notice when I look at the beginning of verse 6, he tells the earth, let the earth bring forth. Almost sounds like a natural phrase. But God said, let the earth bring forth. And the kinds of animals that are described on day 6 in verses 24 and 25 are not bovine and equine and canine. It's not the scientific categories. The kinds of animals are described not by their zoological species, but by their purposes. Some animals are domesticated for man's use. Livestock. Some animals are small prey, the creeping things. And this isn't creeping like a snail, it's creeping as in rabbits and squirrels. And other animals are the wild predators. And the livestock, the prey, and the predators each have a purpose in the circle of life. And so God, just as he gave the fish and the birds a purpose, you will be feed, God gave purpose to the animals that he created. Some of you will be useful to man, some of you will be feed for other animals, and some of you will maintain the population of the small furry critters. Just as God filled the waters and the sky with creatures that had a particular purpose, he now fills the earth with creatures that serve specific purposes. My friend Casey over here, I saw him earlier. There's Casey. He's looking down so that nobody sees who I'm talking about. He is perhaps the most adventurous meat eater that I know. I always enjoy a good steak or a burger, but he has eaten animals that I didn't even know existed until I saw the pictures of his harvest. Some of the creeping things and the wild beasts that he has eaten, and he said they were pretty good. And other creeping things and wild beasts that he has eaten, he says their purpose must only be prey for other animals. See, I have no desire to eat crickets or rodents, but each animal has been given a purpose by God. He gave the fish and the birds a purpose. He gave the livestock, the creeping things, and the wild animals a purpose. But their purpose pales in comparison to verses 26 and 27, where God says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. This word image is interesting, and it requires us to think a little bit. The ancient Near East view of man was that the gods placed man on earth to serve the gods. Man was a serving role. 
And if man became too abundant, the gods would send plagues to minimize the growth of man. But the biblical view of humanity is not of servants and population control. The biblical view of man is one of dignity and partnership with God. John Walton, an uh, Old Testament theologian in the Chicago area, writes about the dominion, which I hinted that Caleb is a prince and Charlie is a princess, because God intends that humans would rule with him. Part of the image of God is dominion and ruling. Walton writes, the functions listed here in verse 26 reflect a royal role for people, since these descriptions would most frequently be applied for kings. They are given the responsibility of bringing order to their world. Again, this is a stark contrast to the role of humanity in the ancient Near East, where they are created to serve. To the rest of the gods, humans are nothing but servants. To the Bible, humans are heirs to royalty. You know, I, I, we, we frequently have trouble understanding how some people could worship idols. We mistakenly assume that they believe the actual piece of wood or gold has power. But we may not be thinking of an image in the way that ancient people thought of that word. I have up here the badge that I was issued when I was a chaplain for the Kenosha, Wisconsin Police Department. We see a badge or we see a pair of handcuffs, and what do we immediately think of? That's not rhetorical. When we see a badge or handcuffs, what do we think of? Authority, police, law enforcement. The badge is not the authority of a sheriff or a deputy, the badge is a symbol that represents the authority and the purpose of that department. In that way, when God makes man in his image, he is saying, let's make man in a way that communicates that he and she are our partners for a purpose. That purpose is to exercise dominion. We no more look like God then this badge looks like a police officer. But this is an image that represents the purpose of law enforcement. And as human beings, we bear the image of God that doesn't look like God, but it bears the image of the authority that we have been given as created in God's image and likeness. Man's function that was not given to any other created thing or animal, was to reflect God's image by sharing His purpose of ruling well. And when God gave them this purpose to rule, He blessed them. He blessed them by saying, You will be fruitful and multiply. 
Since he said fruitful and multiply, I believe fruitfulness is different than multiplication. Fruitfulness is production, not just our offspring. But when we are to be fruitful, it means we are to be productive. We are to be productive or fruitful with our time and with our energy. I've heard some people say the problem with so many people is that they are so busy being human doings that they can't enjoy being a human being. But being human means, according to this mandate, that we do something. You know, I I, I enjoy my day off, but Anne can testify that my day off is regularly spent doing things that I don't do the rest of the week. I'm still productive in a different realm. And I find rest in that change. But a day of rest doesn't mean stay in bed all day long. No, we are to fill the earth, not only with offspring, but with the works of our hands. It goes on to say, not only are we to be fruitful, are we to multiply, yes, through children, but we are to exercise dominion. We are to rule. Now, I know that I was raised in other parts of the Midwest, so you may have not heard this phrase. But have you heard the phrase, put the kibosh on that? I'm not speaking in tongues when I say put the kibosh on that. The word kibosh is literally the Hebrew word subdue that we see here in Genesis chapter 1. When we put the kibosh on something, we stop it from happening because we subdue it. We bring it under our authority. By subduing or dominating, we take what God has created and we put it to usefulness and we make things functional. I love being in the Flint Hills because our church is full of people who put the kibosh on useless rock and land. Land that is unfit for tilling, they put the kibosh on unuseful and they turn it into pasture. They take rock, and they put the kibosh on rock being meaningless. They crush it. They shape it to make it useful for man. Some of you garden. Others fish the ponds and the river. Some of you mold mines. And others turn knobs and switches into airplane cockpits. Some of you simply pin the shoulders of that other boy on the mat so that you get to go to state. Congratulations, Austin. And in all these ways, we are subduing. We're living out the God mandate to put an end to usefulness and to make things useful. God said, be fruitful. God says, Exercise dominion, put the kibosh on usefulness. And then he goes on to say that he blessed them. 
to bless them. God granted them favor. And when God looked at day six, he saw that mankind was given a purpose, mankind was given a partner, and mankind was provided for. And when man had a purpose, a partner, and provision, then God looked at all of it and he says, that's very good. Here's four points of very quick application. Yes, I've seen the clock. You may want to write these down. The four points are, number one, God, as creator, has the right to establish boundaries. When he speaks, he set the stars in place. He separates the seas from the dry land. He commissions man with a mandate. This is what you're supposed to do in order to flourish. God has that right. Secondly, God, as the image which we reflect, has granted mankind the authority to subdue and to produce. Thirdly, God, as the sovereign image, is imprinted on every single human being. God imprints that image When he oversees conception, he forms that image within the womb. That form changes over time from toddler to adolescent to mature to wise. And while that form changes over time and various humans have varying abilities and what we would call disabilities, but the image of that God, our God, remains in place until natural death. God placed his image at conception. God removes his image at death. And fourthly, God, as the sustainer of life with all of its various purposes, shares the responsibility with us to steward well. Not to use, not to abuse, but God has given us the authority and the responsibility to steward what he has created. God has graciously blessed each of us with a purpose and a provision. Jan, you can begin making your way. God has graciously blessed us with a purpose. God provides for us But his greatest provision was when he sent his only son to die on a cross for our sin and transgressions so that we could be restored to fellowship with him. I invite you now to raise a hymn of grateful praise to the God who provides all that we need. Stand with me as we sing number 560 for the beauty of the earth.